Welcome to The Memoir, where host Bobby Goldie self-reflects on the chapters of her life. She's persevered through cancer, depression, addiction, adoption, poverty, and abuse. These are just a few obstacles she's battled through and is sharing her struggles and successes as a reminder, we are not broken. We are just human. Now here's your host, Bobby Goldie. Hello all, it's Bobby Goldie, and thank you for listening to the memoir. I didn't realize until recently working through some of my podcast ideas that neither of my parents truly loved me as a child. I didn't even piece together. They didn't even want me. It's a pretty impactful and powerful statement for me to make. And it's strange, again, as I've said before, that I think our brain keeps these types of thoughts and memories away from us to protect us. But now as I sit here, looking back, I truly believe this was the case. My parents didn't love me when I was young. Let's start with a basic question that is simple for most humans to answer, but always makes me pause. How many siblings do you have? So depending on the audience that's in front of me, is how I gauge my response. But for you, I'm going to give you the real answer. So let's get started with my biological father's side. I have three half-sisters that I've never met before. My father was married before me, and his wife died of cancer, and then he gave up full parental rights to his three daughters. That's all I know about them. And I would also like to point out, these are the facts that were handed down to me, and no one has disputed them to date. So for me, this is what I know. And guess what else? I have three half-sisters on my mom's side. The first sister, my mother gave up for adoption, and I never met her. I don't know if she's my oldest sister or my second oldest sister. And then I have the oldest sister, the second oldest sister, who I didn't get to know really well until recently because when she was younger, her biological father took her out of the state when she was young. So I didn't get a real opportunity growing up to know her. And then lastly is my youngest sister, who I grew up with, and I know her the most. And out of all of us sisters on my mother's side, she was with my mom the most. And the funny part is looking back, I now believe I was fortunate that my mom didn't want me versus my youngest sister. My fond memories as a child are limited. Kit Kats, orange soda, pinball, and jukeboxes at the bar. I spent a lot of time at the bar and what would happen is my mother would start with these gifts to me and then as I was sitting there, folks in the bar would continue to give me quarters so that I could play pinball and play music on the jukebox. Another fond memory for me are good grades in school. It was the one thing I was very good at and nobody could take it away from me and it made me very happy. And then lastly, there were a few kind people that tried their best to make a difference in my life. But honestly, that's it. What my brain is filled with, of me as a young child, poverty, 
abuse, alcohol, and loneliness. So let's start with my biological father. It's kind of crazy. My first memory of him, I don't even think he was there. I have no clue. I was very young, and I remember being in a room, and there was a couch, and I was running around the couch, and there were people chasing me. And the reason they were chasing me is because they were trying to give me a shot. And I was a young kid who hated shots. So I was doing my best to run away from them. And then eventually, I recall they got me pinned down on the couch, uh, knees uh, were on my arms and my legs, and they finally gave me the shot. And that shot was for a paternity test because my father didn't believe that I was his. But once he couldn't deny I was his, I saw him mostly in the bars, uh, which is where my mother met him. He was good looking, so there were always women coming and going. Some were even my mother's friends, which made it pretty awkward for me. I think there were, there were times where he'd go back and forth from them or he'd be picking up other women around me. And then I also recall a few times that I was able to spend time at his longtime girlfriend's house. And usually that came about because he would be around and my poor mother, you know, we live below poverty, was giving him money. So I think that was in exchange for him to take me for a bit. And I remember being at his house and his girlfriend had a son. And for whatever reason, the son didn't like me. So it became pretty unbearable for me there. So I really didn't like going there as well. And it was very limited. So lucky for me, I didn't have to deal with it too much. But based on these memories, most of my life, I believed I was raised by a single parent. And honestly, until this last year, that's what I would tell most people is that my mother raised me. I was a single parent. So the memories with my mother are definitely more vivid. And if you listen to episode two of my podcast, you will know that my mother was an alcoholic most of my life. Uh, She didn't work. She had no high school diploma and she never had a driver's license. But what she did have was amazing looks. So most decisions for my mother revolved around men. And when I'm looking back at it, I believe she was chasing the love that she was missing from her childhood. Her parents weren't the best parents to my aunts and uncles and my mother. So I also believed she didn't love herself. So how was she actually capable of loving me? Because of this, my early childhood consisted of her alcoholic rages, where she beat me black and blue, waking up the next day and asked me what I did to myself. Or if she couldn't find anyone to take me, bringing me to the bar with her and my little sister. My evening typically ended with her convincing someone she'd pay them handsomely to watch me until the next day. That next day turned to days and sometimes weeks. So I'm sure you can imagine how happy these people were to have me in their homes. If there was no school, most of my days while I was with these folks was spent on the front steps waiting for my mother to show up for hours and hours and she'd never show up. On the days that I actually had school, it was good. I would, I had a bunch of 
public bus maps and schedules. I kept them with me all the time. And what I would do is I would figure out how to get myself to school on the public bus all by myself. But again, that was my fond memory, school, getting to school and getting good grades. I got bullied all the time, but it was nothing compared to what I was dealing in my personal life at home with my mother. And then there was this one place I recall that she dumped me off on multiple times. And there were a few of these places that the memories weren't so great for me. But this one, it was on the north side of Milwaukee, and it was close to one of the houses that we were renting at the time. There was a woman, and she had a boyfriend, and she had a son. The son was a couple years older than me, and my mother convinced her multiple times to take me. She would leave me. My mom would leave me there for days and days and days. And the longer she left me, it appeared, the longer this, the more this woman would get angry, angry at me, and she'd take it out on me. I almost felt like I was paying the dues of my mother. So what she typically had me do was pretty much take care of them. I was little. I was, I don't even know, maybe six, seven, eight. I have no clue anymore. I had lots of chores. Scrubbing floors, doing dishes, vacuuming, dusting, you name it. Serving them food, whatever they wanted. And she'd get, she'd get physical with me if I didn't do what she asked of me. And the funny part is, that was the easy part of staying with her. The biggest trouble I had and the hardest thing for me to deal with was the boyfriend. He was an older man, I recall. He was super scrawny, skinny old guy. He seemed old, obviously, I have no clue. Bald, wore glasses. And I remember I had to do the dishes a lot. And because I was so little, I had to stand on a chair to reach the sink in order to do the dishes. He would, he would come into the kitchen. The living room was in the front of the house where the door was, and then the kitchen was closed off. Um, there was just a little entryway, and he would stand behind me while I was doing the dishes. And he would put his hand down my pants. He'd start in the back and come to the front. The first time, I just froze. I would just sit there, and he would have his way with me. And then, the more often it happened, uh, he'd start, he'd pick me up from the chair, and then he would go over to the right, and there was a bathroom there, and he would put me, close the toilet lid, and he would stand me up on top of the toilet. And uh, he would pull my pants down, and he would have his way with me. I didn't know what to do. I had no voice. I was alone. And it just kept happening over and over again. And uh, the funny part is, I don't, this is no funny, right? But I then have realized as I was preparing for this podcast that her son would have his way with me. 
And I didn't realize it, honestly, until I started doing this. Again, my brain, I I swear it blocks stuff out. But at night, I had to sleep with him. And he would do very inappropriate things to me. And I didn't even, I I think I didn't even think it was wrong because he was close to my age. I don't know. I think I was so traumatized from what the boyfriend was doing to me that I didn't even contemplate what, what this kid was doing from me. It it would happen over and over. And I, uh, my mother would finally come pick me up. And I would hope and pray that I would never have to see those people again. But it didn't matter. No matter how much I screamed and begged to her, please, please don't take me over there. She would make me go over and over again. And the last thing that I, my childhood consisted of was chasing my mom's men. She typically met them in a bar, so you can imagine they were much like her. Some of them lived with us, and others just showed up for a night or two. And in some of the places we lived, we just had one bedroom and one bed. And sometimes I was sleeping in that same bed where those men were with my mother. I also recall this one boyfriend she had, and uh, she had a few that lived with us. And this one, I, I typically try not to share names, but I don't remember this guy except his first name, and it was so long ago. His name was Brian. He was tall. He had brown hair and a mustache, and he was much bigger than my mom. My mom was a very petite 5'2 woman, and they had a very explosive relationship, I remember. There were many times they've got in arguments and so forth. And this one time I recall, I was at home and Brian was there and my mother wasn't. And my mother didn't come home for a day or so. And Brian was pissed off. So he took me to the bar down the street on the corner which we frequented often with my mother, without my mother. And he set me up at the bar, got me my orange soda and my Kit Kat. I never veered from them. Those were my go-tos. And as we were sitting there, this very attractive African-American woman came up and she had beautiful pink lipstick on and a pink little skirt to match it. And her name was Peaches. And she was very, very sweet to me. She and Brian spoke for a while. And then Brian handed me a roll of quarters and told me to go play the jukebox. And then him and Peaches left. And I went and played pinball, got through my roll of quarters. And I went back up at the bar. And the bartender knew me and Brian and my mother because we were there a lot. And I just hung out and I drank my orange soda and finished my Kit Kat. Eventually, Brian came back and he was by himself and we went home. Later that night, I recall my mother coming home. It was late. I was in bed and I started hearing a lot of screaming and yelling. And uh, I went out to see what was going on and... Brian started hitting my mother, and there was blood everywhere. I remember we had these big white 
pillows that kind of sat on top of each other and was like a little stool. And I remember the blood. The blood was everywhere. He It was screaming and yelling and he wouldn't stop hitting her and hitting her and blood was everywhere. I didn't really know what to do with it. I yelled for him to stop. I tried to pull him off. I remember flying against the wall. Uh, I tried to get out the door. He grabbed me by my hair. And then he went back to hitting her. And I remember running outside and screaming and yelling and knocking on doors and asking anybody to call the police to save my mother. And you know, I did this a lot. I recall running outdoors and screaming and banging on strangers' doors and having them call the police because my mother was once again getting beaten up by some dude. So there's more stories, just as dark, sad, and scary. But I don't have anything left in me right now. So let's go back to my original comments about my parents not loving me. Maybe the stories alone I shared wouldn't make me reach this conclusion. However, my early childhood is just stories like this over and over again, like a nightmare you just can't wake up from. Normally, when I wrap up an episode, the goal is to highlight some words of wisdom, tips, points, and so on. But sometimes, my story is just one of survival, to live another day. Sometimes it's not uplifting, and it's just simple as, you just need to fight through because there's no other option. Before I go, I want to share a little story that just happened while I was preparing for this episode. So Aiden came down the stairs, and he had the iPad in his hand, and it's Friday, so we allow electronics. He goes in, and he takes the iPad, and he plugs it in on the counter, and then he starts going up the stairs. And Greg looks at me, and he's like, something's going on. This is very unusual. It's Friday. He hasn't had the electronics all week. He would not just put the iPad away. And as he was going up the stairs, he must have heard Greg. And he starts crying profusely. Like, you know, those cries where you can't understand them. The breathing is heavy. Boogers are starting to come down his nose. And we ask him, we're like, Aiden, what's going on? What happened? And we can't get him to calm down. We're trying our hardest. And finally, we get him to a point where he's calm. And he thinks he's going to be in trouble. And we tell him, no, we just need to know what happened. And the first thing we think is that the iPad screen is broke. So Greg runs over and looks and the iPad looks fine. And Aiden tells us that there was some download, software download, and it was taking too long to load. So while it was downloading, he tried to reset the iPad and now he can't get it to work. He is extremely upset. This, this is what nine-year-olds are supposed to be over the top upset about. Just this. Before I leave you, I have one ask of you. Most parents are typically doing the best with what they're given. So if your parents are still alive, I want you to call them, thank them, and tell them that you love them for doing the best that they could. And if you're on the fence and you're still questioning how they did, take a moment to think about how it would be with no parents loving you. 
Thanks again for listening. And don't forget, be a better person than you were yesterday. Thanks for listening to The Memoir. Let's work to remove the stigma of taboo topics. We only have on average 30,000 days on this earth, so let's make the best of our remaining days together. Get in touch with Bobby Goldie at B-O-B-B-I-E-G-O-L-D-I-E dot com and share your story.